Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents Evangelist Sarah Leonard, who talks to us about the Victorious Church. I was praying about what to share about today, and I just kept feeling like the Lord was saying um, that I need to speak about Romans 8 and what that means to me. And I'll explain a little bit more as I go. But I wanted to, if you take home nothing else from today, if the only thing that you remember is that who I am is who God says I am, then that's what I want you to remember. So it's not what we see, it's not how we look, it's not how we act, it's not what's going on in front of us or what we've done in the past. It's not our history, it's not our current condition, it's who God says I am. And if you could just get a hold of that and take that with you, then I will have done my job. So this is kind of a bless me message, but I don't mean it to be a bless me message. I just want to encourage you all, because this is something I got a hold of a while back, and it really um, changed my outlook on life and changed the way that I approached God and prayer. It changed my perspective towards trusting him for my future. It just changed my whole worldview once I got a hold of this. So I hope to encourage you today. A few a week ago, I had this dream, and I uh, woke up, and I told my mom about it, and I said, I don't know what kind of a dream this is, but the more I prayed about it, the more I realized that it was God just was showing me something. It was very a weird dream, so I'll leave out the weird parts for the most part. <laughs> in this dream, I was in a tower, and inside the tower, there are a lot of heroes, superheroes from TV and stuff, you know. I was in this tower with all these heroes, and uh, we f- I felt pretty safe there. They all were just hanging out, relaxed, and having a good time, so it must have been a safe tower. And uh, at some point, the enemy started attacking the tower, and uh, they start coming up from the basement, and there was this full-on siege, and so all the heroes are going to work, fighting off the enemy, and we look around, we're like missing people. Somebody, like who's, this flank is empty. Who's supposed to be there? Well, the Disney princesses were supposed to be there guarding that part of the tower. And they were sitting in the corner sobbing their eyes out. And so (laughs) they they weren't fighting. So anyway, this it was so bad, the, the, over, the attack was so bad that we were overrun and they had to start evacuating the heroes. And so I'm like going out the back door looking to see what's going to happen and suddenly it was like I went back in time, the, the, the Disney princesses were standing and fighting like warriors like they were supposed to do, they weren't sitting in the corner sobbing anymore, and the attack came and it was over like that, like in an instant it was done, everyone went back to relaxing and having a good time, and the fight was over just like that. And as I was praying about it, I was like, that is so weird. Why am I dreaming about a tower full of heroes? And as I was praying about asking the Lord, what is this dream? Why is it, you know, because it stuck with me and it was bothering me. So what is this about? And he said, if your faith is standing strong, but a part of it is laying in the corner sobbing and feeling sorry for itself, then your faith is not doing its job and the enemy can come in and attack. So if, you know, uh, something comes against me, uh, an attack of the enemy, spiritual attack, which we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in heavenly places. So what we're fighting against is not the people around us or the circumstances around us. It's the forces of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And so we war over that by standing firm in the faith, taking our shield of faith, putting on the full armor of God, and praying. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us. So if our faith is broken down in one area, if the flank is sitting in the corner crying and feeling sorry for itself and not defending like it's supposed to be doing, then we open ourselves up to that attack. Uh, So anyway, this relates. You'll see. But um, (laughs) I realized that uh, when I don't 
see myself as a warrior, when I don't see myself as a winner, as victorious, as capable, as enough, when I um, allow myself to lay down and feel sorry for myself, is when my faith wavers. If you could imagine, this is not, this is not, you guys are so awesome because you're so awesome. I mean, you are, but this is not you guys are so awesome, you know, love yourself. This is God said that he's chosen you and he is making you awesome. That's what this message is. Okay, so God has chosen me and he is making me awesome. Now, if one part of myself is going, I just don't feel like believing that today, I'm going to lay down and feel sorry for myself, you let yourself sit down and cry, then the thoughts, the evil thoughts the enemy tries to plant in your head, they just start to overrun. They come and they come and they come. And before you know it, you're like, I'm just so worried. I'm just so anxious. I'm just so fearful. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, it started at a point when you decided, instead of believing what God says about you and who you are, Instead of believing that, you decided to just let yourself feel sorry for yourself. And it is a choice. It may not feel like it, but it is a choice. And so I can't tell you how many times I have laid down and felt sorry for myself and cried my eyes out for short periods of time, for long periods of time. But believe me when I say I have been there, I have done that <laughs> too many times. And I started to realize that I needed to stop wallowing in self-pity, step up, and do what God called me to do. You just can't let yourself. We are winners. We win. That's the end of the story. We win. We are victorious. So if you let yourself go there, it just gets worse and worse. It's like a downhill snowball effect. The opposite of that is believing what God says about you. Well, so what does God say about me? And I started to wonder, because the Bible really doesn't talk, this is a, a woman thing, the Bible really doesn't talk about physical appearance in the Bible. Maybe some men are, you know, concerned about their appearance too, but it doesn't really. Except, you know, a lot of preachers use the scripture in Psalms that talks about you're formed in your mother's womb, and before you were born I knew you, so like God made you the way you are, just love yourself. But then I started to realize that if, if I get a hold of what God says about me, that I'm loved, that I'm appreciated, that I'm delighted in, then it really doesn't matter how I look. It really doesn't matter. Because the confidence that I have comes from my spirit. It comes from inside of me. And my spirit confirms what his spirit says about me, that we are children of God. And so it really doesn't matter what's on the outside. It matters our confidence in here, our faith in God. So how does God see us? What does God's word say about our identity? A few years back, I was in a low point uh, in one of those moments of feeling sorry for myself, laying down and crying and just letting everything roll over me. I don't know why life is so hard. I just can't do it. Everyone is against me. My, my job is hard. My friends are mean. You know, I just, everything was bad. I felt sorry for myself. And I just, I kept letting it come. I kept letting those negative thoughts come. And then I took a hold of them and believed them and spoke them out of my mouth. And then I felt worse, you know. And at some point, uh, I was, it wasn't actually me. God was getting a hold of me through various different methods. But we, we had Bible study at the place I was working at the time every morning. And this one morning, I, I came into work, and my coworker said, well, I was going to share about this scripture and what it meant to me, but I feel like it stands for itself, and maybe God just wants to speak to you his own way through this passage, so I'm just going to read it. And he read Romans chapter 8 from beginning to end, and then he shut the Bible, and we prayed, and that was the end of that, But except the scriptures kept playing in my head. And throughout the day, they kept playing in my head, and I thought, I need to look that up and read it. And so I went home. I couldn't remember where it was found, so I Googled, like, whatever one of the phrases that I remembered hearing. I Googled it, Romans 8. Okay, so, and then I re started reading it, and something in the middle jumped out. It was verse 5, to be carnally minded is death, 
to be, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I realized that I felt like I was dying. I mean, I was so sad and depressed. I felt like I was dying. But I wanted life and peace. I wanted it. And I thought, how can I get that? Well, to be carnally minded is death. What does that mean? So I started thinking about it. I'd never really given it any thought. I'd never really considered what that could mean. And then I realized it's those negative thoughts, those worldly things, looking at your circumstance, looking at who you are, what your past is, and what's going on in front of you, and saying, this is my reality. That's carnal thinking. God speaks to non-existent things as if they already exist. He speaks the future into existence with his words. So that's not his way of thinking, just claiming the terrible current situation. He doesn't do that. He says, this is my plan. This is what's going to happen. My plan for you is good to prosper you and not to harm you. That's what he says. And so I need to get in line with what he says about me. So that's spiritually minded. Spiritually minded is the word of God. So I thought, well, if I want life and peace, then I need the word of God. And then I decided to memorize Romans 8. I set about memorizing it, and there were sections of that chapter that I didn't understand. They didn't make sense to me. But I knew that there was enough good stuff in there that I could pick those parts out and they would come alive to me, you know. But the more I studied it, the more I memorized it, the more I meditated on it, the more, like, each day a new phrase that maybe I didn't understand before would suddenly come alive to me, and I would under have a new understanding of it. And then I would come across another section. I'd say, God, I don't understand this. And maybe not right away, but a week or two would go by, and I had been meditating on it every day, and he would give me the revelation of that part. So even if you're reading the Bible and you don't understand what it's saying, if you just read it over and over and over again, God will bring the word to life in front of you. He'll start to reveal things to you that are his way of thinking, high-minded, spiritual-minded thinking. And that kind of thinking is what gives life and peace. And so if you want to have peace in your life, you need to think like God thinks. So what does he say about you in Romans chapter 8? If you want to turn there with me, I'm uh, doing the millennial thing and preaching out of my phone. But if you have a Bible, <laughs> you can use that too. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Isn't that powerful? So all the shame... All of the regret, all of the guilt, all of the negative, harsh feelings. I didn't do this. I wish I could change that. If only I had made better use of my time. If only I had made this choice instead of that choice. There is no condemnation in Christ. And my mom always says, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. That's what she always says. So I think... Okay, a gentleman would not come and heap on, you know, not like take a sledgehammer and, you're doing this wrong, ha! Huh? You know, he, he is kind and gentle. And the word says there's no condemnation. So if you start to get a negative thought that is, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I did that wrong, oh, I screwed up again, oh, you know, I wish I had you know, done this differently, or if only I had learned this sooner and had, you know, more time throughout my life to live this out. Those are not God's thoughts. He doesn't say that about you. He says, when you're ready to be obedient, I'm ready to get in line with you. He says, when you're ready, I'm here. We're going to do great things. So when I, you know, I repent, I'll say, God, I really messed up this time. I know you're so disappointed in me. And he says, I'm not disappointed. I'm just glad you're here now so that we can get the work done. You know, if you could just get in line with what he says, then you can get the work done together. Verse 2 says, oh, the second half of verse 1 that I didn't read, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, isn't that powerful? Free from sin. And guess what? Free from death. Now, I think of this as a spiritual death. So if you feel like you're so depressed that you want to die, the word of God says you are free from that. You don't have to put up with it. That means those thoughts, those feelings, they are not from God, and you don't have to take them. You don't have to believe those thoughts about yourself. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now that was a, that's a mouthful, and that was one I had to pray about a lot to get the understanding of, because like to me that is like kind of out there. But I think basically what it's saying is that the law can't accomplish your freedom. Christ did it, but the law can't accomplish it. So if you want to be free, and you think that by going to church on Sunday and reading your Bible, and well, I'm telling you to read your Bible, but by doing these things, you're going to earn God's favor, and then you'll feel free. That is not God's way of doing things. He wants you to read the Bible. He wants you to go to church. He wants you to spend time in prayer. But he wants you to do those things for you so that you can grow, so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be strengthened. It's not to earn his favor. You already have his favor. You already have that freedom. You just have to accept it. Take it. Of verse 4. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Listen, you don't have to do all the right things to earn righteousness because the righteous requirement of the law has already been fulfilled by Jesus. So you don't have to fill the righteous requirement of the law. You don't have to. Jesus already did it. <laughs> that should be freedom, you know, like freedom from having to fulfill all kinds of little if you do this and if you don't do that. That's not what God's about. Yeah, he wants you to live righteously, wants you to do what's right, but he wants you to do it because you love him and you want to serve him, not because you're trying to meet some requirements to earn his favor. Okay, verse 6. Here's the one. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And just think of that as like an equation. Throw some science in here for Pastor Scott. <laughs> Carnal mindedness equals death. Spiritual mindedness equals life plus peace. There's your, there's your equation. So which one do you want? <laughs> this is not algebra. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, verse 7. Because why? Why is the carnal mind the enemy of God? Why is that? Carnal mind is, it says, because the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So when we are thinking worldly thoughts, when we are thinking like our current circumstances, our history, our mistakes, the negative things that are not in line with the word of God, then those things are opposed to God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. So if you're not thinking prosper and um, safe and hope and future, if those are not what you're thinking, then you're thinking carnally, and that's the enemy of God's plan for your life. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I think of this as like the opposing scripture of Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you're in the flesh, guess what? You're not in faith. But when you are spiritually minded, you're standing in faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do that God is who he said he is, and that you are who God said you are. And so that combination, God is who he said he is, 
He's going to do what he said he's going to do, and you are who he says you are. That combination, that's your faith. That's your firm foundation. Our firm foundation comes from Christ, so it's not, it's not me. I don't get to say, look at how great I am, and look how awesome I am. It's because of Christ. It's because of what he did that I get to say, I am awesome in God. I am awesome. I can do what he says I can do. Verse 9. Declaration, you are in the spirit, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So he's reaffirming. And actually, if you look at the end of verse 1, And also in verse 4, he declares, you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. And when I first read this, I thought it was like a condition if you're you're in the, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It's like a condition. So I am all these things that the scripture says I am if I'm not in the flesh, but I'm in the spirit. But he says here in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh. You are not. It's a declaration. He says it three times. And in the, in the ancient script, when they didn't have bold underline and italics to exclaim, they didn't use punctuation like we use with lots of emojis, smiley faces and hearts and flames and stuff. They repeated things to get the point across. So he's trying to make the point. This is not a condition. This is a declaration. You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, well, how do you know if the spirit of God dwells in you? Well, have you confessed Jesus as Lord? And then have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That's the condition to be saved. And then the spirit of God dwells in you. So that's it. If you're a Christian, the spirit of God dwells in you. So if you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So you have to say that over yourself. I am not in the flesh. When you start to think fleshy thoughts, when your Disney princesses lay down in the corner to cry over themselves because they feel sorry for themselves, when your faith is not being a warrior like it's supposed to be, (laughs) then... I'm I'm being really vulnerable here with you guys because I don't usually tell my dreams to people, but y'all must be special. (laughs) Um, Rabbit trail. (laughs) Declare over yourself what God says. Don't let yourself get into the point where you're going days on end wallowing and feeling sorry for yourself. As soon as you recognize that's what's happening, say, no, I'm not going to accept that. That's not good enough for me. I am better than that because God says I am. Okay, verse 10. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If um, Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We already know the Bible says that about us. So If we're in Christ, which we are, if we confessed him as Lord and believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's the Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. So if that's true for you, then you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, then Christ is in you. And the body is dead because of sin. So that means, yeah, we're going to fail our our flesh, we're still here, we're still trapped in this sinful body, but our spirit is alive in Christ Jesus. It's alive in righteousness, and that means that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's just another way of saying that. Okay, and then uh, verse 11, but if the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who dwells in you. And just think about that. Whenever you feel weak, when you feel faint, when you feel like I'm overrun, I can't do this anymore, or this is too big for me, or um, this is a stressful situation, or this is a heavy burden to bear, Think about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power, that 
um, explosion of God's glory lives inside of us. And that's the power that is going to give us the strength to do whatever it is God's calling us to do, no matter how big. And I'm telling you that if you ask God to give you a big vision, he will. And then he's going to help you walk it out. (laughs) Okay, then verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to live according to the flesh. So if you say, uh, and I have definitely met, Christians and non-Christians alike who talk like this. Well, I just, I got so angry, I had to yell at them or curse them out. I couldn't help it. I just had to. It's, (laughs) okay. Well, anytime somebody says that and they're a Christian, it's just not true. But they haven't seen themselves the way that God sees them yet. They haven't seen how good it can be that we don't have to be indebted to this flesh, to what my body feels like doing. We don't have to live trapped by that. So we're not trapped. We're free from sin. Not indebted, not required to, don't have to, couldn't help it is not an option for us. And that's a good thing. We should be excited about that. Yeah, there, there should be no condemnation in that because then you have to go back to verse 1, start over. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. <laughs> verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And let me tell you, when, um, this, when I was feeling sorry for myself, when I was depressed, when everything was so hard for me, and I started reading this chapter and meditating on it. I got stuck right here. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I knew, I'd heard all my life, because I grew up in church, you're a daughter of the King, you're a daughter of God, you're a son of God, you're a child of God. I'd heard it, but it hadn't gotten from my brain down into my heart yet. I hadn't had a revelation of what that meant. And if you think about who Jesus is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He comes riding on a white charger. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God, who sits enthroned above all, who the earth is his footstool, that God that created the universe with the word, that God, his son, he has entrusted the authority to rule heaven and earth to his son. And we are joint heirs with Christ. That is powerful. If you could see that the way that we have allowed ourselves to continue on just letting life happen to us. I'm not saying all of you have done that, but I have done that. Just letting life happen to me. Well, I can't do anything about it. It's the way it is. That's not true. Because we are children of God. And that means that we have a power. There's a power. There's an authority. There's an heir, uh, an inheritance that goes with that title, that adoption into his family. So when we get understand, just um, ask God to show it to you if you don't understand what that means, um, what it means to be a child of God. It will change the way that you carry yourself. It'll change the way that you approach God when you come to him in prayer. It'll change the way that you stand in faith to believe God for what you're praying for. Because you're his kid. There's not anything he's not going to do for you. Not anything. So if it's not, if God's not the issue, and your identity, your relationship with him is not the issue, then there's something else the issue there. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so verse 15 For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, that's a powerful statement. That means that that carnal thinking, that old way of life, that was uh, what led us into fear. And that when, when we are born again, we don't have to be in fear. That's an incredible statement. But we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
wow. So not by our own good works, not by how awesome we are, but because we believed in Jesus and God said we're his children, we got adopted in and we get to call him father and we are joint heirs with Christ. And I'm telling you that I went from depressed and wallowing and feeling sorry for myself for months, months, way too long. I let it go on way too long to just walking more confidently. I was changed. I was changed because I meditated on these scriptures. I just read them every day. I wrote them on my fridge. I wrote them on my bathroom mirror. I recorded my voice reading them so that I could play them to myself because I wanted it to get from here, from my head, down into my heart. I wanted to understand. I wanted it to come alive to me. Who I am is not what the world says. It's not what my negative thoughts say. It's what God says. That's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. And then verse 17, and if children, then heirs. That's the inheritance I was talking about. Join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, that's a hard thing to uh, grasp because we will suffer. We will suffer. Uh, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So every trial, every suffering... There will be suffering, but every suffering that you face, you can overcome it, and you can overcome it with boldness and confidence because of who you are, because of your identity. Okay. And then if you go down, I won't do the whole chapter because it's a little long and time is short, but if you go to the end, there's a series of questions. At verse 31... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I felt like everyone was against me. I actually felt like uh, they were trying to get me to lose my job. And so I was looking at my circumstance. I was looking at the way people were treating me. I was looking at that. I wasn't looking at what the word says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, they're going to be against us, but what does it matter? That's what it's saying. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. So whatever it is you're praying for, just go ahead and believe he wants to do it for you. He wants to. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, lots of people. We see it in the media. We feel the persecution. We feel, uh, you know, just even talking to your neighbor sometimes, they get upset for you being a Christian or talking about Jesus openly. Um, Sure, in your workplaces, you've probably experienced that. But the thing is, is that when you know who you are and you know what you have, then the persecution, it's like, eh, whatever. (laughs) It just kind of fades away. It still bothers you for a minute, but as you meditate on the word, as you continue to put this in front of you, what God says, the truth about who you are, then those other things kind of fade away. They're not important anymore. Yeah, they still sting, but just the, the sting of them fades away because of who we are. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. So if you feel condemned, if you feel shamed, if you feel regret, if you feel like you've wasted time or you've wasted opportunity or you've made poor decisions, no one is con- God is not condemning you. Other people might condemn you. Your own thoughts might condemn you. Probably your own worst critic, like me. You're probably your own worst critic. But God doesn't condemn, and it is Jesus who makes intercession for us to God. So it's like he's saying, look, you might be condemning yourself, but I'm on your side. I'm on your side. God's on our side. Jesus is interceding for us. He is our advocate. He is standing up for us. Verse 37. 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There are two powerful statements in that statement. Number one, he loves us. He loves you. He loves you so much. And number two, we are more than conquerors. So whatever we face, suffering, trial, persecution, tribulation, famine, peril, or sword, we don't have to worry about it because we are more than conquerors. We always overcome. That's who we are. Now, I don't know how you can stay sad and stay feeling sorry for yourself when you read and understand and get an idea of what this chapter is saying about you. You, who you are. Meditate on the word, and it changes who you are. Changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way God, you see, start to see yourself the way God sees you. Instead of seeing yourself the way you've always been told or seeing yourself the way you've criticized yourself and painted this picture that you're, you know, whatever, can't do it, not strong enough, not, not qualified, not able, not competent, not you know, all the lies, right? The lies we tell ourselves, I can't do that. God says we can. From Romans 8, I, I learned that I am free from guilt I am free from fear. I am free from sin. I'm free from dead ways of thinking. I am full of power. I am full of his spirit. I am greatly loved. I'm adopted into his family. I have an inheritance. I am blameless. No one can bring a charge against me. I have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who makes intercession for me. I have a defender who stands before God on my behalf, and that's Jesus. And I don't know how you can stay sad when you know those things. So then I, I gave you all a card, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I just want to read through them. These are confessions you can make over yourself. And I put scripture here. There's really probably more than one scripture for each of these things, but I just chose one for each. And um, the first one on there is, uh, you are a new creature, a new creation, a new person. Second Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So don't allow your history to define who you are. Don't allow your past good, bad, or otherwise, to define who you are. You don't have to be that way because you've always been. You're a new person. You are destined for eternal life. First John 2.25 says, In this fellowship we enjoy the eternal life that he promised us. Uh, we have life more abundantly. Uh, John 10.10 10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or the New King James or King James says, to have life and have it more abundantly. I am favored and delighted in. Zephaniah 3.17, and I went to Old Testament here, but this is a prophecy of the church, the believers, the body of Christ after Jesus comes as a savior. So this applies to us. Okay. Just had to clarify. Uh, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, if someone cares about you that much, that they are rejoicing over you, loving you, calming you, taking delight in you, have gladness when they see you, you think that's a person that's going to be standing there condemning you for stuff you've done wrong or not feeling like answering your prayers today because he has too many prayers to answer? <laughs> I've heard people say that. Oh, he's busy. I don't want to bother God. Um... <laughs> This is who we are. We're his kid. He, he delights in us. Okay, we're greatly loved. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Or I like the way the King James says it, What great love the Father has lavished on us. I like that word, lavished. As Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Romans 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So if you struggle with feeling loved by God, you got to meditate on the scriptures that say that you are. You are free from the control of sin. Romans 6.15 says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you have become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you are you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. You are reconciled. Colossians 1.19 says, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's powerful. Reconciled, made right with God. Made right with God. Made right in his presence. We are redeemed, and that's a big word, weighty word, um, but I just think about it as whatever um, failure you see in your life, God will redeem it. God will redeem it. He, what was meant for evil and harm, God means for good. That's what redemption is. Uh, Galatians 3.13, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. And then 1 Peter 1.18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So that ransom has already been paid for you to be redeemed, to have your story rewritten. You are righteous, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And the whole thing is good, but I'm just going to read 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or as the King James says, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that is powerful. So no longer a sinner. Not a sinner anymore. We're once, not anymore. Now, righteous with God. You are an ambassador. An ambassador is a go-between, someone who represents. And I studied out this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 chapter. And it talks about what it means to be an ambassador. And that is when you see your brother or sister in Christ really missing God, like really missing it, your job as an ambassador is to say, come back to God. Get it right in an encouraging way, of course, not you terrible person, why are you doing this? But like the way that God like the way that God speaks to us. Come back to God. Look at the scripture. Look at what it says. See what a great life you can have. See what, what blessings you can have if you come back to him. Get in his presence. See what he has to say about you. That's what an ambassador is. We are adopted. And I read you that scripture, Romans eight fifteen, Adopted into the family of God. We are children of God. We are royalty. Wow. Because Jesus is king, and we're joint heirs with him. And so, um, you know, all the relatives of Queen Elizabeth in England, they're all considered the royal family. And that is what we are. We are adopted into the royal family. That means we are royal. So quit acting like you're not. We are a priest. First Peter 2.9 
But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does the priests do? Well, they go before God. They offer sacrifices of praise and um, worship, which we can all do. So if you have something you need somebody to pray over with you, it's one thing to get someone in agreement. But if you're, you know, calling the pastor and saying, Pastor, can you come pray over my friend? Because, like, I don't know how to pray over them. You're a priest. (laughs) You're a priest. So you can do it, too. You can go before God. You can pray. You don't need to call the pastor. I mean, unless you just really want to. But I'm saying you don't have to. You're a priest. Uh, You are heard. You ever feel like you're looked over? You don't have a voice? You don't have a place in this world? Know that God hears you. 1 Peter 3.12, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers. 1 John 5.15, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Amen. (laughs) We are healed. 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. He's quoting a prophecy there from Isaiah. So the Bible says it twice. It's confirmed. By his wounds, you are healed. Victorious. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We win. In the end, we win. Ephesians 6.13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Don't let part of your armor be over in the corner crying and feeling sorry for itself. Put on your whole armor so that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You will. It's a very affirmative statement. You will be standing firm. And then 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world. We achieve this victory through our faith. Victorious. So why does it matter what we say? Why does it matter if we repeat what the Bible says? Well, out of our words, we affirm what is true. So... Every time that we have these negative thoughts and we start to say them, well, I can't, or I am not good enough, or I don't know how to do that, I'm not smart enough, I'm not able, Um, you know, I always mess it up, I I, uh, can't get it right, I'm not good at anything, Uh, you know, whatever the lie is. And, And when we say those negative thoughts out of our mouth, we reaffirm them. But when we say what God says... We're speaking that truth into existence, just like he did. Romans 4.17 says that Abraham believed God, and in the presence of God in whom he believed, this God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So if you want to speak like God speaks, then you have to speak what the Bible says about who you are. So it matters what you say. It matters. Don't continue to to perpetuate the lies by saying them over and over again. Start to say what the Bible says, which is the truth, the word of God. Okay. So you can see that I'm passionate about this topic. I, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. I have more confidence when I pray. I have more confidence to stand in front of people and speak. I don't tell you these things so that you can walk away from here going, I'm so awesome, I don't even have to try anymore. Look how great I am. I hope that's not the message you take away because we know that who we are in Christ, we are that because of the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. So there's no room left for boasting, right? When we boast in who we are, when we repeat what the Word of God says about who we are, we're not bragging on ourselves. We're bragging on God. 
we're, we're repeating the testimony, the testimony that God transformed me, he redeemed me, he gave me a purpose, he gives me a hope, he gives me a future, he made me his child, he made me his heir, he answers my prayers, he hears me when I call, he loves me, I'm delighted in, you know, these things, they're not to make me great, they're to make him great. So when you repeat them, you make him great, you glorify him. And you open the door for the testimony for you to share with others about Jesus, which is what I'm all about, sharing with others about Jesus. So if you get a chance this week, and someone asks you why you say these positive things about yourself, or this month, or whatever, you can say, it's who God made me to be, and you could be like that too. Yeah, so I hope you get it. <laughs> uh, let's pray. And then uh, I will dismiss. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth found in it. I thank you for making the words in your scripture come alive to us. I thank you for bringing them off the page and making them stick in our mind. I pray that they would replay throughout the week as we go, that we would continue to be reminded of who we are and who you say that we are. I pray, God, that we would worship and honor you in everything that we do, that we would choose to give you glory with our words and with our actions. And God, I pray that you would uh, bless everybody here, bless them with a spiritual understanding, bless them with all the riches of the glory of their inheritance in Christ. I pray that they would get a hold of this. In Jesus' name I pray. We hope you enjoyed Reverend Leonard's teaching, Victorious Church. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.